And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Green Thumb Herd every Saturday at 7 o'clock. Hello, I'm Dan DiOrio along with Ethan Wise of uh, Hair Nursery. Uh, and since we talked uh, last week, man, it got hot. It rained a bunch. I tell you, I cut my lawn. I think my grass was about 8 inches tall. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was just looking at my backyard. Uh, today and I was like, oh, just this morning I was like, I wish I had time to mow my yard before I went to work today because <laughs> it looks so bad. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my game plan is to uh, hopefully mow my backyard uh, here in the near future because it is wild. Yeah, and I bet a lot of people's uh, gardens got overwhelmed. They just grew fast, and the weeds probably popped back up. Well, probably with all the the heat, that hot. Uh, that hot, hot weather we had prior to this rainfall we just had again, uh, probably people's weeds were going crazy. That's prime time for weeds to be thriving. They love when it's hot outside. I'm sure many people noticed that in their driveway or their brick pathways, their weeds were, were going bananas. I know I sure did. Um, I had to spray some weed killer in my brick walkway because there was more weeds than brick, it looked like, and it was just atrocious looking. Uh, and now with all the weed or all the winds, uh, some of the weeds are starting to come back out of my brick or through my brick uh, openings again, so I'm going to have to spray some weed killer again. You don't like to take the time to pull them out yourself? Not between the bricks, nope. <laughs> <laughs> In my garden, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, if it's wet, like I can totally, I'm okay with that because they come out relatively easy, yeah. except for one of the veins of my garden, which is bindweed. And I know you have bindweed as well. Yeah. And, and that is a nightmare too, for no matter how you want to deal with it. But other than that, you know, the, the dandelions will pluck right out, plantain will plop right out, um, uh, clover will pop right out in, in a garden. So when it's wet outside, I don't mind that. But in between these little, quarter inch cracks in my brick nope they get hit by the weed killer yeah um yeah mine's look oh, looks overwhelmed and I, I just had it uh pretty much controlled two weeks ago and i went back out i'm like what happened I, is there any brick under there and so that's where you hit exactly. it exactly that's where you hit it with the napalm the roundup pretty much yeah that's what i i, I uh used the last bit of mine um you know, just to kind of, at least in the brick area, this is just too much. You know, I've tried organic methods, and I, and I love the idea behind them, but they just don't work for some of those tough weeds. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Roundup, you know, knocked them out, and I saw them dead by the end of the day. All but right. now they're coming back two weeks later. So, All right, <laughs> so let's talk about um, what you're seeing in your garden as kind of a microcosm of what's going on. Uh, any bug damage? No, no, not really. Um, like I said on a previous show, we were talking about bugs need to eat, too. Um, possibly our first shirt idea. Um, <laughs> so uh, they, we, we, people are, are noticing, like, little tiny holes and damages on some of their leaves. Most of that could be associated to uh, sometimes beetle damage or grasshopper damage. Uh, but most of it is nothing to be concerned about. Like my broccoli right now, my broccoli is about two feet tall. And it, it's, you know, on the leaves, it's got, you know, little holes. Looks like someone went around with a hole puncher all over the leaves. But it's growing just fine. There's no disease on it. It's forming the nice big flower broccoli floret heads on them. Uh, so they're obviously not stressed to the point where they're not wanting to produce. 
So I'm, I'm opting to not spray any sort of insecticide on those plants because I'm just attributing it to the bugs are hungry too. Um, they might like broccoli as much as I do. So uh, I'm just kind of letting that go. But as far as serious pest or disease damage, at least in my garden and my neighbor's gardens, uh, nothing's really come up in conversation uh, as far as what we're having to, to deal with or, or having to handle. And it's been a relatively, uh, at least for many people, uh, it's been a relatively less intense year for Japanese beetles. Uh, I know that if you live next to a farm uh, where you have there's row crops or you are a farmer, you're probably shaking your head and uh, and waving your finger at the radio right now. But uh, for many homeowners, not so bad. It, it just hasn't been a, a, a bad year for the Japanese beetles. Uh, so there's not a terrible amount of damage that I'm having to talk or communicate with about people here at the store. And uh, I'd say the only other insect that occasionally comes up, and not an insect, but uh, a bug, uh, is slug and snail damage. Um, but that's kind of common. You know, mostly people in shade, hosta gardens are the ones that are coming in and wanting to get stuff for their uh, for their slugs or snails. We carry a product called Sluggo. We also carry a product called um, Diatomaceous Earth, which is like ground-up shell material, uh, which the slugs will slither across, and it, it kind of lacerates them. But uh, other than that, no, no, not a, not a lot of beetle or bug damage. Um, some people, I guess the only other thing worth noting this time of year, anyone who's growing squash or melon uh, or cucumber, any large vining plants or, or uh, ones that sprawl, you might be noticing some yellow and black beetles called cucumber beetles. Um, and they can do some damage. And if you are noticing those, you might want to spray an insecticide on your plants. That would be uh, for, for something you want to eat. I recommend a product that has pyrethrin in it, P-Y-R-E-T-H-R-I-N, pyrethrin. And it's derived from the chrysanthemum plant, so it is organic, but it's very, very, very effective um, as an insecticide. And so it's something that you can spray on your plants and then eat the fruit off of on the next day, no problem. Um, not going to cause any sort of residual damage to the plant um, and doesn't have any sort of harmful effects to humans. So that would be something I'd recommend. But other than that, no, it's, it's kind of slim pickings for insect damage right now. And you were talking, uh, I think, a week or two ago about natural predators that you need in your garden. Oh, yeah. Wasps. Um, wasps are, are, you know, as much as I I don't like wasps. I'm, uh, I love insects. If I didn't get into horticulture, I might have fancied the idea of entomology. Uh, I, I do like insects. You know, Dan, don't get me talking about ants. I'll, I'll go on and on and on. The yeah. show will change oh. the direction. Um, but, uh, but wasps, as much as we don't tend to like them because we're, we're afraid that they will sting us and or bite us, I've been bitten and stung by the same wasp before, um, they, they tend to, many of them tend to be amazing natural predators, especially for chewing insects, um, uh, specifically larval forms of butterflies and moths. Uh, so they will parasitize uh, chewing and damaging caterpillars and uh, worms, and, and then you don't have to worry about them. So the, the wasps aren't going to damage your plants, but they will damage the insects that are. Praying mantids are also wonderful insect uh, catchers. 
they're kind of non-selective, so they'll go after anything in the garden. I've seen them go after honeybees occasionally, but they will also go after Japanese beetles. I have a wonderful picture of, of a praying mantis with three Japanese beetles in its grasp. Um, uh, it's kind of my, my argument, to, oh, yeah, praying mantids, uh, natural predators for the Japanese beetles. Um, so those, those are great insects to still have in your garden, even spiders. I know a lot of people don't like their spiders. Uh, around their garden, but I look at them like, hey, they don't really care about you. They just want everything that's chewing your garden. Uh, so if you have a spider web in your vegetable garden, leave it there. They're killing all the insects uh, that you don't want in your garden. So there's a lot of predatory insects that is kind of natural biological control that's kind of out of your hands. Yeah, you got like a minor major in entomology. So uh, let me ask you about um, when I was growing up, a lot of times, and my grandpa had a big garden, a lot of times there would be banana spiders in there. Are those especially effective? Uh, they are. They are, and they're beautiful. Uh, that's probably <laughs> that's subjective, <laughs> my own opinion. But they're, they're such an interesting spider, and some banana spiders, my gosh, those get bigger than a silver dollar. Um, but, yeah, they, they, will, they will create these massive webs. Therefore, they're catching a little bit of everything in their web. So you'll see, uh, you might see banana spiders, like you said, in your garden, uh, usually yellow and black. And then there's also garden spiders, which are about the size of a half dollar. Um, have a big, huge, bulbous abdomen, uh, but they are wonderful for catching a load of insects in your garden. And they really don't care about you and what you're doing. Um, they're not like black widows where if they uh, bit you, you were, you're going to get a, a necrotic wound. Um, but, you know, it would, it would hurt just like a bee sting. Uh, but other than that, um, they're, they're wonderful pests and, and quite interesting to look at. Their webs are very, uh, very beautiful as well. Bulbous abdomen, not a good band name. Not at all. So. <laughs> it, it might be like a song, though. Do you think that could be like a, an interesting song title? for It, it could <laughs> for be. The Banana Spider, <laughs> the Banana Spider Bands has yeah. Bulbous Abdomen as their, uh, as their single. Maybe. That, that could be. Uh, and then as, as far as our yards, I'm getting some sort with all the heat and the wet, uh, a few like dead spots like mold. It, uh, is that fairly common? Oh, you know, you said in your turf. Yes. In your, in your, in your grass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, that is common this time of year when you have these high temps with very high humidity and it lasts for multiple days and then the lows get really low. So when you have, uh, when you have a high that's going to be a heat index of 90s to 100s and then the lows get down into the 60s or 70s and there's this 30 to 40 degree difference between the high and the low, sometimes that can be a perfect incubation um, uh, kind of area or a climate incubatable climate for fungals, uh, infections to grow in your garden. Uh, and specifically your lawn. So if you're noticing brown spots in your turf um, or irregular browning patterns in your turf, it's worth taking a picture and bringing it in. Best case scenario, some of those dead spots that you might be seeing in your turf are related to the heat that caused your turf grass to go dormant. We have a lot of cool season grasses that don't like it when it gets overwhelmingly hot and they just start to go dormant. But it's also not terribly uncommon for certain infections 
to be running rampant in your garden right now. So if you are concerned about the possibility of any sort of fungal infection in your lawn specifically, snap a few pictures, bring those pictures in, and we could possibly identify what it is that is uh, eating away at your lawn. And we have a couple fungicides that would work really well on your turf grass. You're listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. I'm Dan Diori along with Ethan Wise. Uh, I've been cutting my grass higher. I mean, I don't have, outside of a few fungal spots, my grass is, is, you know, it's it's green. It's been green. But uh, even during that little drought, but I have noticed, especially where there's a lot of sun, that the natural fescue that's around here has really taken over. Uh, yeah, you talk about like the, the tall, the big leaf fescue grass. Yep. yep. Um, that's kind of like a darker green and a thicker blade than everything else in your lawn. Yeah. Yes. So, so that stuff, uh, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to remove that with a herbicide. Mm-hmm. You know, an herbicide that's going to treat lawn weeds. And the reason why is because that fescue is very, very, very closely related to other positive or beneficial turf-type fescues that you would have in your lawn. And so because they're genetically so close, they don't add the ingredient to kill the fescue that you don't like because it's going to kill the fescue that you do like in your lawn. And many common lawn blends uh, here in the Midwest incorporate creeping um, fescues into the turf. Yeah, Uh, and and what's really... What's really interesting is on one side of the driveway where the sun is a whole bunch of different types of fescue mixed in with bluegrass, and on the other side where it's uh, more in shade, it's all bluegrass. Yes, yes, yes. That so, and, and that's in part because uh, that 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 fescue that you're seeing is much more tolerant to drought and heat. It has a very deep root system. And so when it starts getting really, really, really hot in the summer, that Kentucky bluegrass will start to fizzle out a little bit. And then that, that nasty fescue that nobody likes starts to fill in and take over in certain spots. So that's why you will see that in sunnier locations uh, while, while you see your Kentucky bluegrass starting to retreat to the yeah. shade. All right. Uh, bagworms, I know you said a couple of weeks ago they're really bad. Uh, is, uh, they continue to be a, a big pest this year on a lot of tr- uh, tree, uh, trees and shrubs? Um, I haven't had as many people coming in uh, with, you know, I've had in many previous years uh, people coming in with Ziploc baggies full of these little um, pine cone looking insects. Uh, and I just tell them, like, oh, nope, pluck all those off and burn them or, or throw them in your garbage or something. I haven't had too many people come out here with those baggies full of bagworm um, uh, shells, so to say. Mm-hmm. And I've had a few people, though, and it's, this would be the time that you would be seeing all those little bagworm carcasses, or not carcasses, uh, but cocoons hanging from your plants. So if you're noticing what looks like they're going to be on your junipers, they're going to be on your uh, spruces, on your possibly your pines. They'll even go after uh, some of your uh, leafier shrubs, forsythia. I've seen them on burning bush. I've seen them on dogwoods. I've seen them on. But if it looks like something uh, that kind of gives you from a distance a pine cone or a cone-like uh, look to it, then you can probably assume this time of year that it is the larval form of the of that worm and uh, the bagworm 
and the really once they're in they're encased in that cocoon there's really no spray that you can put on them hmm. the only way to really remove them is to physically pluck them off mm-hmm. and get rid of them i just tell people put them in a bag seal the bag throw it in your garbage and or throw them in your burn pile because huh. um, you leave them on there they're going to turn they're going to come out as the moth that moth is going to lay its eggs and it's going to just keep getting worse and worse and worse yeah Beautiful, cooler temperature, though, for this week. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about what the today and tomorrow is going to bring. When I was looking at the weather this morning, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it's going to be a nice day. It's a yeah. good day to shop at Hairnessery. Yeah, a good day to get some Roundup, <laughs> um, right, and get the, uh, get the weeds. Exactly, yeah start, yeah. start killing those weeds. Get rid of them. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about um, uh, fungus uh, before the break. And you were talking about uh, possibly some, some patch-like spots in your lawn. Is it like a brown circle that's kind of growing like a light a light brown to really dark golden yellow patches in your lawn that you're noticing? No, it's just more of an area that's got light brown on it. It's probably about maybe okay. Okay. six feet long and a regular shape. Hmm. I'm wondering possibly if that is brown patch, um, but I wouldn't know without seeing um, some pictures and or uh, uh, some samples of the, of the grass blades themselves because they'll have specific uh, indicators on the grass blade that could potentially lead to a, a diagnosis of a fungus. But brown patch is common in summer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, can, it can form into these uh, circular disks that kind of irregularly uh, pattern your garden and if you're noticing something like that uh let us know because we do have fungicides that can treat that so i just wanted to kind of get a little bit more information on what you might be experiencing in your lawn and if you've always said if you pull at it and it's still fairly strong it could be dormant but if it comes up easy then something then that grass is definitely dead correct yeah, yeah, that's usually something is there's a disease, it's not rooting for whatever reasons, there could be something that's blocking uh, tough roots or possibly uh, bugs uh, that are in your grass uh, that are uh, that are underneath that are chewing on things, although it's kind of past that prime season for grub damage. Um, so it's, 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 but usually something is causing uh, the death of the grass, yeah. All right, let's switch to, um, because of Steve the Plant and his popularity on the Greg and Dan Morning Show, let's uh, go to people who have office plants. A lot of people like to do that just to give a little uh, color and character to their office. Uh, and, and you came up with 10 good office plants. One of them, number one, is Steve. It's the snake plant. Yes. Yeah, yes, one of Steve's. Um one of the Steve's. So yeah, the snake plant is such a wonderful, uh, it's, it's not only, I think a great one-on-one plant for anyone who is new to house plants, uncomfortable with house plants because they feel like they're going to kill them. Or it's even a fun one for avid collectors because there's so many different varieties of snake plants. Um, so you can really kind of build your collection. Maybe I'm speaking for myself on this one, but I love it when I come across a new or different variety of a snake plant that I don't already own. And I love them because less is more um, for these plants. The worst thing you can do with a snake plant is really uh, is nurture it. <laughs> you know, let it. Let it be. Let it do its own thing. It's very independent, just like Steve is. You know, they kind of do their own thing and um, – 
and don't need a lot of encouragement to, to be productive. So that's what's so great about them. They don't need um, a large amount of light. So, but some of them can tolerate higher light situations. But if you have an area where you're worried about something not going to make it because there's just no natural light or it's in a corner where it doesn't get much light at all, consider a snake plant or a sansevieria uh, as, as something that will fit and work in that area. And you can find ones that stay small. You can get ones that are kind of a medium size, like what Steve is. And then you can get other ones that are going to get really big and tall and upright and have like this spiky hairdo look to them. Is that what's so, yeah, called? wonderful plant, one of my favorites. Is that what's called mother-in-law's tongue or something like that? Yeah, yeah, mother-in-law's tongue because uh, it, they, they have sharp tips and they don't go away. <laughs> now, Steve uh, really likes, I'm looking over right now, he likes being in the window. He likes looking out the window, so he likes a lot of light. So. Yeah, yeah, many of them can... Yeah, many of them can adapt to that adapt to that higher light. I would just be concerned, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to put your snake plant like outside in full sun. Then it would start to burn up. But inside a really nice sunny window, that's usually uh, usually a happy spot for them. But like I said, if you have a, a shady spot too, they're going to thrive just as well in there. Well, this is filtered sun because it's a dirty window, so that's why Steve likes it. All right, <laughs> n- number two. Uh, is African violet, I cannot grow an African violet. It's, you know, the African violet, I feel like it's split 50-50 between the people who are just amazing with them and then the people like me and like you that, uh, that just aren't successful with African violets. And I, I guess I shouldn't say I'm terribly unsuccessful with them, I had one for several years, but I never got it to reflower, and I couldn't figure that out. I spoke with with all kinds of different people about what they're doing and what their care techniques are, and they're like, are you doing this? Are you doing this? And I was always saying yes, or I'll try that, and and I could never get it to flower again, so I ended up uh, letting letting that one go, and, and someone else took over care of that African violet. But some people just really take them and run with them, and they do amazing with African violets. One thing I know for sure with regards to caring for them, um, you don't want to water overhead. The best thing to care for an African violet is the water from the roots up. So either if you have it in a, a container, with a, you can get a self-watering pot or get a container that has a drain tray or a saucer underneath it and fill up the saucer and let it absorb the water from the bottom of the plant up because they have very fuzzy leaves. And if you get water on those leaves, it can cause those leaves to rot because those little fuzzy leaves will hold on to the water droplets, uh, and eventually that water will just rot out the leaf. But what's, what makes African violets so versatile is that they can thrive in non-natural light really well. That's why I kind of lump them in with what makes a good office plant, is they can thrive just as well under fluorescent or LED lights as they do with natural sunlight. And to me, that's what separates an office plant, quote unquote, from a house plant, quote unquote. Now, you're kind of split and peeve on on many parts of this, but the reason why we're talking about office plants is because what we're talking about are plants that can really thrive and do well on artificial light, say you're in a cubicle or you're in an office that doesn't have a window to it. These are all plants that are gonna do well, and that's why the African violet makes the list. Yeah, in fact, it doesn't like a lot of sun. It likes uh, uh, north, 
East Light or Overhead Light. Number three, English Ivy. These uh, these can take off. These are really easy to, to take care of. Oh, yeah. I mean, oldie but goodie, you know, there's, and there's so many different varieties of English Ivy. Specifically, what you want to look for for the ones that are going to do really well in your office are specific Ivies that are in the genus Hetera Helix. Um, and so if you're, if you're looking or you're curious what those ivies are, um, you can always kind of type that in, do a Google search, uh, and see what comes up. But Hedera, H-E-D-E-R-A, and Helix, H-E-L-I-X. And uh, in that genus and species are a bunch of different varieties of these ivies. There's lots of variegated ones. There's ones with rippled edges, um, ones with, with white coloration and yellow coloration, uh, large leaves, small leaves. So that's what's so fun about the, the ivies is you can find one that kind of really speaks to your office space and your decor uh, and matches up really well, extremely low maintenance. Uh, you can keep them cut back and kind of keep them kind of bushy, or you can let them kind of trail and become a really nice um, form of, of, uh, of vine. Yeah, you can have like a little trellis in your office with these, can't you? Absolutely. Wouldn't that be fun? Something yeah. to kind of keep you distracted uh, when you're kind of running on empty. Yeah, play around with your plant for a little bit, a little bit of plant therapy, biophilia therapy. There we go. Uh, number four on the list, the ZZ Top Plant. Yes, yes. You know, gosh, it just made me think about this. I you know, off on a tangent, but uh, one of the members of ZZ Top has recently passed. Uh, I was I was surprised to hear that, but yeah. The, uh, the ZZ plant, the, the plant that uh, went on tour with the ZZ Top group and was uh, no worse for wear because of it. Uh, so the ZZ plant, or Zamia Volcus, is uh, also, just like the snake plant, extremely low maintenance. You could put this plant in a dark corner for a month and, and put like uh, throw your dirty laundry on top of it, and it's going to push <laughs> off new growth. Uh, that's what's so great about the ZZ plant. It's a little bit more tolerant of, of higher sunlight than the snake plant is, but it's just as tolerant of shady uh, areas and neglect like the Sansevieria or snake plant is. So they're great companion plants. They get along really well. So maybe that's the next, maybe that's the next office partner that Steve needs is a, is a ZZ plant. But uh, they, they, they just perform extremely well. Uh, they can take, they, they grow just as well in low light as they do high light. They don't need a lot of water. That's also kind of the key of what makes a really good office plant is you don't need to water them excessively, especially when you have plants indoors all the time. They don't burn through water the same way that your plants outside do. So that's usually the most common thing that I'm talking to people about with their house plants as to why it's failing. It's because they're watering it too much. Well, if it's in a shady area and it's 68 degrees um, where you're at, they're not going through the water reserves that they normally would in a higher light, higher heat area. So just keep that in mind with any of your house and or office plants. Uh, Next on the list is an aloe plant. uh, And if things get out of hand in the office, it's good to have aloe around. Oh, yeah. You never know what's going to happen. You know, that printer <laughs> could just go haywire and you could get a little burn mark on you. Yeah. And, and now you have an aloe plant at your desk and you can soothe those those office burns. Or maybe you have a coworker that roasts you too much. Well, now you have some aloe mm-hmm. to, to soothe those roast burns. 
But aloe's very uh, easy too, right? Oh, extremely. I have one that's in my north window, so uh, it's not getting a whole lot of light for pretty much just indirect light all day. It gets a little bit, maybe two hours of real late afternoon light in, in the summer, and that's about it. Other than that, that's really all it gets is just indirect light all day. I water it maybe once a month, and, and it's very happy. My tip for successful aloe is to have them in a small container. Aloe really likes to have compact roots. So if you say you have an aloe that's in a four-inch pot and you upgrade it to an eight-inch pot, you're likely going to notice that aloe struggling a lot. They do not like to have all this extra open space for their roots to be swimming around in endlessly. They really like to have a tight space it secures them. It allows for them to kind of produce more of an upright, vigorous growth habit, where as if you give them a really large pot that their roots are not adapted to yet, you're going to notice that plant is going to start to fall flat and fail. Uh, so that's my tip for having a successful aloe is to keep it in a smaller container. Say it's in a four-inch container and it's about time for it to, to be upgraded, don't go much bigger than a five or a six inch pot. So no more than a one to two inch upgrade whenever you are moving your aloes up. And, and that's my, my best tip for a success, a successful aloe. Other than that, they can tolerate high light and high sun. They will start to get a reddish or purplish color to them. That doesn't mean that they're dying. That just means that they're getting their suntan. When you put it in a, a shady area again, it'll start to revert to a true green color like most people are used to aloes being. Uh, you're listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. We're talking about Steve and his friends, good office plants. we got about three minutes left. Uh, this one is, uh, I have this in a north-facing bay window, and it just goes crazy. It's a philodendron. They'll just continue to uh, grow and grow and take over your whole window. Um, the key is, though, you do have to water these a little bit more to keep them green, but this is another easy plant. Extremely. Yeah, philodendron, or sometimes called pothos, um, pothos vines. Oh, yeah, I, I love them. So great vining plants. Uh, like you said, they can grow in just a water base, just roots in water um, they can be successful in. Uh, so, yes, definitely they do not like to be overly dry. So if you are a bad, if you have a bad habit of overwatering your plants, consider a philodendron uh, vine or a pothos vine, and it works really well in low-light areas. I, I love them, and there's all kinds of different uh, variegated forms that you could possibly find uh, of that particular plant. So, yeah, I have one in my bathroom, actually. I put little S-hooks all over my bathroom ceiling, and I and twine the vine all the way through it, and so it's eating up all the humidity that's in there, and it gets some morning sunlight, and it's very happy. All right, two minutes left. Uh, if you want, and if you're in an office, something that when someone comes to your office and wants to, uh, it, it really, it, it's one that's going to spark a lot of conversation. I've never seen this, Attila Danzia. Yes, so, the, so the, uh, this is an air plant. Air plants literally get their nutrients from the air. You don't put them in soil. They produce a little bit of roots, and you just stick them somewhere. Um, you know, have a little bit, you know, wrap it in a little bit of wire and hook that wire um, somewhere in your office where it can just hang or stick it like in a, you know, a little handle or something. Uh, but yeah, don't plant them in soil because that's what's going to kill them. You literally just sit them somewhere. Some people will 
set them up on some kind of elevated pedestal and they just get all their nutrients out of the air, soak them once, uh, once a week to twice a month and for five to 10 minutes. And that's all you got to do. Super low maintenance. They're crazy looking. So, the, yeah, the, air plants are twins, yeah. Uh, the, the picture I'm looking at, they just got them in kind of a nice plate or an ornamental plate mm-hmm. and they just sit them in there. And I'm like, those are crazy looking. All right. Uh, office space for Steve and his friends. Boy, I, I hope, uh, Tilly, the Tilladanzia, we get to a picture of that for Steve. I think he'd like that. Um, hours. Okay. I'll, I'll bring some in. Okay. Hours, eight to six. Yep. Eight to six, Monday through Saturday. Uh, next time you come out, Dan, I'll have to show you the airplane. Yes, I I have never seen these before, and if you have an office and you want a conversation piece, have these laying on a decorative plate right on uh, your your office desk, and people will go, "What the heck is going on with that?" All right, Ethan, we'll talk to yes, you. Yes, I get my lunch. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you next week. More house plants, excuse me, office plants. Uh, for companions of our office plant, Steve the Plant. And some of these even thrive with no windows and fluorescence. For Ethan Wise, I'm Dandy Oyo. Thanks for listening to Hair Nursery on WMBD.